Good evening. Glad you're here. We're going to go ahead and get started tonight. Glad you made the effort to be here. Uh, why don't we tell them thanks for our awesome supper. Great job on our supper tonight. Tonight we're going to start off. We've got a game. We're going to play a trivia game we're going to play. Uh, I'm going to ask if everybody here will stand up. We're going to put you on the spot. If you'll stand up, please. All right, I'm going to ask a question. If you get it right, stay standing. If you miss it, it's the honor system. Uh, sit down. So I'm going to ask you a question. If you get it right, you stay standing. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and we're going to narrow it down. All right, first question is this. You ready for this? What is the capital of Arkansas? The capital of Arkansas. It is Little Rock. If you got Little Rock, you stay up. Man, our, half our youth bit the dust right there. Second question is this. Did Je Jesus, this is a true or false question, true or false. Jesus had brothers, true or false. That is true. All right, third question is this. This is a great question because it's from the 80s. Who won the most NBA championships in the 80s? Who won the most NBA championships in the 80s? That is the L.A. Lakers with five. If you got that right, stay up. <laughs> All right, here's the next one. Name the British ship that sank after striking an iceberg. That is the Titanic. <laughs> the British ship threw some of y'all off. All right, here we go. We're going to get rid of all the youth on this one. Which boxer had the nickname Marvelous? Did anybody say Marvin Hagler? If you did, stay up. All right, so we have one, two, three, four, five, six still standing. We're going to have two rounds of that. I picked a number between 1 and 100. Between 1 and 100, 47. 7? 78. 61. 50. 75 is the winner. It was 72. You get some Tootsie Rolls in a cup. <laughs> you don't have to share those. All right, we're going to play one more round. Those are the easy questions. Everybody stand back up. All right, here's the first question. What is the most popular type of pizza ordered? It is pepperoni. If you got that right, stay standing. Some of you are like, I'm smart. What is the most popular type of ice cream in the world? That is vanilla. If you got that right, stay up. What did you think? I'm with you, but people are. Third question is this. Who was Bill Clinton's vice president? Al Gore. 
<laughs> okay, we thinned it way down on that one. Here's one. Who is the current vice president? Kamala Harris. If you got it right, stay up. All right, we still have a bunch stand up. Here is the fifth question. Which team has won the most Super Bowls? Which NFL team has won the most Super Bowls? All right, let me give you the answer. The answer, there's actually a tie. Pittsburgh has six. The Patriots have six. If you got either one of those, you're a winner. You can stay up. All right, we got a pretty good crew staying up. You did it again. All right. I'm going to pick a number between one and 100. 13. 66. 9. 32. 24. 14. 99. The number was 72 again. What'd you say? 32. Well, there you go. All right. Good job. You don't have to share. All right, we're going to get started on our Bible study tonight. Let me start us off with a word of prayer. Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for today. We're thankful for uh, the good things we have. We're thankful for a church. We're thankful for a church family. Uh, we're thankful for the meal that we had, the fellowship, the good food that we had. We're thankful for our time to come and study the Bible tonight. I pray, Lord, that it would make a difference. I pray that it would, it would grow us and, and bless us and build us and equip us to stand in, in the world that we live in. I pray for our kids' classes that are meeting right now. I pray that their foundation is being built up tonight. tonight. I pray that there's an anchor being set for them that will hold. I pray for our other adult classes tonight. Bless them, encourage them as well. And then I pray for us who have gathered in this room, those that are Listening in in another way, I pray that you bless us, encourage us, and build us up again for your name's sake and for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight we are on our 66th lesson in the grand scheme of things. Tonight our lesson is entitled, Tempted by Satan, Tempted by Satan. Our key verses tonight, it's not a whole lot of verses tonight, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Luke chapter 4. Uh, verses 1 through 13. Let me go ahead and I'm just going to read through that um, and then we'll come back and break it down piece by piece. So the key verses, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days and when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, Tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Verse 8, Jesus answered him, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. 
and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. That's our verse set, Luke 4, uh, 1 through 13. The key point of our, uh, of our lesson tonight, if you have your worksheet, uh, early in the public ministry uh, of Jesus, we see uh, his adversary, the devil, and our adversary, the devil, as well, at work. That's an interesting thing. Very early on in his ministry, uh, we see the devil at work. Uh, in this important account, we're going to see uh, the program of Satan. We're going to see the truth of Jesus, and we're going to see an example for us uh, in handle, how to handle temptation. Um, this is a strange account, and I think about uh, several parts of it that, that, that really are kind of weird to understand, uh, but, but there's something we see right off the bat, and that is this. Uh, think about this. In sports or in war, uh, it is wise to know your opponent, and that's, that's just a fact. It, in sports or in war, it's wise to know your opponent. In fact, many times, the key to having success is to know their tendencies, to know their plans, and to know, know their ploys. Uh, think about sports. In football, other sports, they watch game film, and they see, here's what they do. Here are their tendencies. Here's how we plot against that. Other sports, uh, they watch film as well. They scout. Uh, they know, hey, they're ranked like this. They do these things. They're better at these things. And you actually uh, improve your opportunity for success in knowing what they're going to do, what they've done in the past, what their tendencies are. Uh, it's the same thing in war. They scout and they know uh, they have this many of these things and they're, they're here, they're doing these things, and there's a, a level of success that you find as you study your opponent's uh, tendencies. Well, right from the start of Jesus' public ministry, we are introduced to our adversary, the devil. And so we're going to see uh, what he's about. We're going to see what his tendencies are, and we're going to see that, we're going to learn that as he interacts uh, with Christ Jesus. Uh, that's, that's one part. The second part of that is this. As we see this unfold, uh, we're going to learn more about Jesus. And so as we go through the Gospels, remember what keeps happening is we keep seeing uh, this is the truth of Christ. This is the truth of Jesus. So we're going to see these important things, but we're also going to learn tonight uh, more about our Savior Christ. I'm going to work us through the verses. We're just going to go piece by piece as we go through them. All right, uh, Luke chapter 4, looking at the first two verses. Listen to this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Remember, he'd just come from his baptism and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became Hungry. Let me read that again. Listen very carefully. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. He was there uh, in his baptism account, and he was led about by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they ended, he became hungry. All right, all right let me walk you through these verses. First off, the event happens immediately following the baptism of Jesus. Uh, that has taken place. Immediately after that takes place, uh, this event follows that account. 
Um, Luke reports here something kind of weird, and that is, is that Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is God. He is fully God. And so that's kind of a weird thing for us to understand. And yet he is, he is uh, full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what does that mean? Well, let me try to explain it to you. We have to kind of make an understanding from the book of Ephesians, other places as well. Uh, to be full of the Holy Spirit meant that Jesus was submitting to and walking in the will of God. And so uh, he's full of the Holy Spirit he is in the will of God. He is walking according to the will of God. Uh, he is walking and submitting to God's will. Now, that's kind of hard for us to imagine. And uh, when I say it's a strange account, that's one of the things I'm talking about. It's hard to think about Jesus submitting to the will of God when he himself is God. But here he is in human flesh, and he's submitting to the Father's plan. So uh, that's the first thing we see. Let me tell you this. The greatest indication... Uh, of Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit is that he was led around by the Spirit. And that's what the verse says. The greatest indication, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. Well, the greatest indication that he's full of the Holy Spirit is that he is led around by the Spirit. Now, that is a very good clue for us. Being filled with the Spirit is um, manifest or is made known in obedient living. Now, let me say this. Uh, there's a lot of times we say, I would like to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. There are folks that go around chasing, oh, if, if I had a feeling of the Holy Spirit of God, and I want, I want the feeling of the Holy Spirit of God. Well, let me tell you, the greatest sign that a person is, is filled with the Holy Spirit of God, some might say, well, it's a sign. The greatest uh, evidence that a person is filled with the Holy Spirit of God is that they walk in obedience. And so, hey, they're submitting to God. They're doing what God has said. They're living according to God's word. That is a spirit-filled person. They're walking in obedience. I want you to notice something else here. Notice in these verses, it tells us that during this 40-day period, Jesus was being tempted by the devil. I think sometimes we miss that. It wasn't just during the ending episode that he's being tempted. It was during the whole occurrence, during the whole episode, uh, the whole ordeal that Satan taught to tempt Jesus. Sometimes we think it's just the end. The whole 40 times, uh, 40 days, uh, Satan is trying to tempt Jesus. All right, a couple of other things before we move on. The Greek word for being tempted means tried, tested, or to make proof of. And, and so really it is a testing or a proving. And so when, when he was being tempted, when we're being tempted, it is a testing. Uh, do you uh, walk the way you talk? Do you act the way you say? It is a proving. Do you actually have the faith and the obedience that reflects it in your, in your living out of your life? And so the Greek word for being tempted means tried, tested, or to make proof of. Uh, the Greek word for the devil uh, in Hebrew is Satan. It says here the, the, the devil in Hebrew, that is Satan. Uh, that word means the accuser, the slanderer, or one who casts down or cuts down. And so that is the description of the devil. All right, let's keep going, verse 3. And the devil said to him, Satan said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone 
to become bread. He's out there. He hasn't eaten in 40 days, it says. He is hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Um, Jesus responds. Uh, it's, it's interesting here. We'll see that in a second. Um, the, first, the first attack that Satan launches here or appeals to is a desire for personal comfort. And so that's the first attack against Jesus. Uh, it's, a, it's an attack on his personal comfort, which means this. Just turn that into bread. You, you haven't eaten. You're hungry. You're the son of God. If you're the son of God, prove you're the son of God and turn that stone into bread. And so it was this call, uh, comfort yourself, serve yourself, take care of yourself if you're actually uh, the son of God. And the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Verse 4, and Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. All right, for the first time that we have recorded uh, in this episode, uh, he is confronted. Serve yourself. His answer is to respond with a quote from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Now, all of his responses tonight are going to come uh, from the book of Deuteronomy. And so he's going to quote the Old Testament. He's going to quote Old Testament scripture. He is posed with the with issue, and his answer is to answer with scripture. Uh, I think it's interesting. If you go look at these 13 verses, you'll notice this. There are no recorded words of Christ that aren't Scripture. That's, that's not Scripture. Now, that's just this set of verses. But in this account, the only thing we see that he says is Scripture. He, he uh, quotes the Old Testament back. All right, verses 5 and seven, through 7. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Look all around there. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Now, he's not lying right there. The Bible says that he's the prince of this world. And for a short time, God has given him a reign in this world. And so he's the prince of this world. And so he's not lying when he says, I can give you these kingdoms. He actually had them to give. Verse 7, therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. All right. His first attempt, he tempts him to serve himself with personal comfort. Serve yourself. That fails. And so now he makes a second attempt. And in this attempt, he appeals to his pride. And I, 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 I kind of have to slow down and think about this. Actually, if you're the son of God, won't you prove it? And you think being the son of God would come with great pride. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I can do? Do you know where I've been? Do you know I'm the creator of all things? Surely he would say, well, let me just go ahead and show you some things. It's an appeal to his pride. Now, I want you to see this. He says, I'll give you reign over all of these kingdoms. Instead of having to go to the cost of the cross, he says, if you'll just worship me, we can skip all that and you can rule all these kingdoms. And so he appeals to his pride, but it's also a shortcut. You're not going to have to suffer. You're not going to have to go to the cross. I'll give you reign over all these kingdoms if you'll just worship me. All right, verse 8. Jesus answered him, it is written. Again, he's going to quote Deuteronomy. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him 
only. Once again, his response is to quote scripture to go back to the word of God. Uh, his answer is found in God's word. All right, so he comes and he says, serve yourself. Uh, you're the son of God to prove it, serve yourself. Then he comes and he says, uh, what about your pride? Show us who you are. And he appeals to his pride. Both of those things uh, have failed. And now there's a third attempt. Uh, verses 9 through 11. Now watch this. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. They go to the highest part of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. All right, now I want you to see this, what happens in this set of verses. He has appealed to him to serve himself. He has appealed to him to, to stand in his pride. And both of those times, Jesus has answered with the word of God. Well, notice this. So Satan says, well, two can play that game. And so Satan now uses the word of God. Satan pulls out verses and he uses verses against, against Christ, against Jesus. And he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself off of here. And he gives him two verses. The angels are going to guard you. Uh, you're not going to strike your foot against a stone. And so he uses the word of God now to test Jesus. Now I want you to see this. Those statements are true. They are true. Those statements are scripture. They are God's word. And yet to apply them in this manner would contradict what God has said. And so he, he's basically checking him now saying this, you like the word of God so much, validate the word of God, jump off of here. You like the word of God, you want to prove it's true, jump off of here and we'll believe the word of God. Same thing, you're the son of God. Well then my land's the word of God, I'll apply to the son of God. Jump off of here and you'll validate both of those things, the Word of God and the Son of God. There's an important truth um, in that episode. And that is this. And I think it's important for us to see. It's not just knowing God's Word, but it is discerning the meaning of God's Word. And today, you'll notice, in the world we're living in, it's happened always, but it's, it's rampant now. People will take a verse or a couple of verses or a piece of a verse, and they'll pull it out of Scripture, and they'll try to use it to arrive at what they're seeking. And so they want, they want the meaning to be this. And so they take a verse over here and a piece of a verse over here. They put those verses together. And hey, they're speaking scripture. They're using the word of God and they, and they come to this meaning or result. We want this result. We want these things to happen. So they take verses out of context. They put them together and they say, well, here it is in scripture. And they come to this faulty conclusion. Um, that, that happens uh, then. It's what Satan tried. Uh, it's what we have to be aware of now. A false teacher is not generally going to totally ignore the Word of God. And I can tell you, go look at the Mormon church, look at the Jehovah's Witnesses, a whole bunch of other false religions. Notice they don't just throw the whole thing out and make a new one. They take part of this, and then you go, well, that sounds a lot like what I grew up hearing. 
That sounds a lot like the verses I know. Well, that sounds like it might be true. And, and so they take pieces to arrive at a different conclusion. Well, that's what Satan actually tries on Christ. He says, here's some verses. You want to validate the Bible, then, then throw yourself down. You can validate the Bible and yourself as the Son of God at the same time. I'll right, look at verse 12. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so to use the Bible in that manner is not uh, consistent with the meaning of what the Bible says there. And so for a third and final time, he rebuts Satan by citing another truth of Scripture. It doesn't work. Satan sees through it. He answers again with Scripture. Uh, verse 13. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left Jesus until an opportune time. Having failed at his endeavors to tempt Jesus, the devil leaves for now. And so he's going to back off. He's going to leave for now. Uh, in a different gospel account, it says the angels came at that point and ministered to Jesus. Uh, the phrase an opportune time, uh, it is actually a single Greek word that translates a better opportunity. So he says, I will, I'll come back at a better opportunity. I'll come back uh, at a better time. Um, Satan is going to continue to scheme against Jesus, to scheme against his ministry, and to scheme against his followers. Uh, sometimes I think there's a couple folks that, that teach um, Satan leaves and he doesn't come back till the end where the cross gets ready to happen. Uh, but it's, it's not true. He's going to keep scheming. He's going to keep trying. He's just going to try and find a better opportunity. All right, that's the verses. That, we're going to stop there with the verses. Then I'm going to go and pull out the three things I said we would talk about. The first thing is this. We see in this account the program of Satan. You ever wonder, what is Satan doing? What is Satan up to? What does Satan want? How does he do it? Well, this is the program of Satan. Uh, notice the attack. The baptism has occurred. Uh, right after the baptism, remember the Holy Spirit comes as a dove and lights on Jesus. Uh, the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. It's a great event. There's a big crowd. They see it. It's a great demonstration uh, as to who Jesus is. Well, immediately after that, Satan starts to say, well, if you're the son of God, well, did you not see that? Did you not see the verification of that? But Satan starts to say, are you the son of God? Prove you're the son of God. Uh, it, it starts to be this attack against the truth of Jesus. Now, he appeals to his comfort. He appeals to his pride. But I want you to see all of those situations, he's appealing to the truth of Jesus. If you're the Son of God, verse 3. If you're the Son of God, verse 9. And so the main attack here is on the truth of who Jesus is. All right, what does Satan do? He questions the truth of who Jesus is. You know what? If you miss Jesus, you miss everything. You know what? If you miss Jesus, you have no hope. If you miss Jesus, you die in your sin. So Satan's plan all the way back to the Garden of Eden is to attack the truth of Jesus. Well, is he truly God? Well, is he truly man? Was he truly born of a virgin? Did he truly never sin? 
He just, he just keeps launching the attacks. That is his program, to cause us to question and ultimately to abandon the truth of Jesus. All right, let me, let me walk you through some modern-day application to that. Does that still go on? Does that still go on? He's getting, trying to get as many folks to question the truth of Jesus. What ways does that still go on today? All right, let me tell you some ways. The Bible says creation happened like this. Now, you go read the Genesis account, here's how creation happened. Well, Satan comes along and says, did it really happen like that? Can you be confident it happened like that? Are you sure you're willing to take a stand that it happened like that? Do you know most of our schools are teaching a different way that it happened? Most of our universities for sure are teaching a different way that it happened. And so is it the truth or not? It's an attack on the truth when it comes to creation, the Bible. Folks say, can you trust the Bible? Isn't this a man-made record? Uh, isn't it wrong? How could it ever be right? Aren't parts of it in conflict with other parts? Uh, how do you have so many authors and have them agree? And folks attack the Bible. So folks will say, well, I don't believe the creation account. That's too far-fetched. But I do believe that a guy died and was put in a grave and three days later walked out. I hang my eternity on that. Well, do you believe Jesus is actually physically coming again? Well, I do believe that because I love that. Well, do you believe uh, these miracle accounts? Well, no, I don't believe that. The Word of God becomes under attack. That's how it happens today. The person of Jesus uh, comes under attack. Today, um, the, the Muslims have a different version of Jesus. The Mormons have a different version of Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses have a different version of Jesus. Uh, there's folks that say he's a great teacher. Gandhi has a different version of Jesus. Uh, there's some say he's a moral example that you're to follow. Um, there's all these versions of Jesus today, and it seems narrow-minded to say, no, this is the truth of Jesus. So it comes under attack. Still goes on today. Here's a question for you to think about. How would you rate Satan's effort? Is he smart? Is he dumb? Is he crafty? And I, I, I watch that and I go, I think he's pretty intelligent. I think he's pretty smart. He found the best time to attack this thing. He found a good time to take this slant. And so I think he's, he's very crafty and very smart in his, in his plans. So let me tell you this about you. Guess what? To trip you up, he's very smart. He's very crafty. He's not taking a shotgun approach. He knows how he's going to catch you and how he's going to get you to fall. Uh, he's very smart and very crafty in his program. Here's another question. Do you think he is still searching for an opportune time? I thought about that for a second. You know what the Bible says? That he is prowling about looking for someone to devour. Think about prowling about. You ever watch a cat? Cats are weird. Um, <laughs> maybe y'all love cats, but cats are weird. Um, cats will slip up, and then they act like they're not looking, but they're looking. Uh, cats will go over here, and then, boom, they'll jump over there and pounce on that. They're looking for an opportune time. That's a cat. It's just like that. He's looking for an opportune time. He's looking for the perfect time. Uh, he's prowling about. I want, to, I want you to see something here. We're going to talk about some things here in a second. So when's the best time to attack? And I'm talking about us. Evidently, it's true for everybody because it, it shows up here. 
When's the best time for Satan to attack? Let me tell you, here's what we get from this account. When you're tired and weary, and here's one I didn't think about till this week, and when you're alone. Do you know a whole lot of sin happens when you're alone? You need to be around people and say, uh-uh, we're not doing that. We're not going there. We're not thinking that way. Word of God says this. Now, we do better in numbers. You get off by yourself and you start going, well, I don't know about that and I don't care about that and I'm kind of mad about that and nobody's going to know anyway and nobody cares if they didn't know. Uh, he catches him when he's weary, when he's tired. He'll do the same to you. You know what? Well, you got a bad diagnosis. You know what? My finances aren't the way I thought they'd be. My life's not exactly what I think and you're a little bit edgy anyway. He'll find you when you're worn out and then he'll also find you when you're alone. Satan's plan is to separate us all from each other. We do better in, in numbers together. All right, that's the program of Satan. What's he trying to do? He's trying to convince you Jesus is not who Jesus is. All right, second thing we see in our verses tonight is the truth of Jesus. And I think I've never really gone through a Bible study that anybody ever brought this out. It gets lost as we study this account. But confirmed in this account is the identity of Jesus. Now, remember when we started our, our lessons, when we got to the gospel, uh, the gospel accounts, the gospels are written so that you would know who Jesus is and that you'd believe in him, respond in faith. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Why do we have the gospels? Because they're a great story. No. Why do we have the gospels? Because we need them to get to the other books. No. Why do we have the gospels? We have the gospels to help us know who Jesus is, that we believe in Jesus and respond in faith. So why do we have this here in Luke? It's that we would know who Jesus is and respond in faith. Well, I want you to see what we see in these episodes. First thing we see about Jesus is this. He does not come to serve himself. You want to know who Jesus is? He's not a self-serving politician. He's not out for himself. He comes to save the lost at the cost of himself. And so right off the bat, in this first event here in his ministry, if, if he's about himself, just make the stone into bread. Do what you need to do to serve yourself. Uh, it's not a sin to do that. You know he's going to make a whole lot of bread out of some bread and fishes and not too far from here. Uh, but the sin would have been to say, I'm going to change the reason I came. I'm going to deviate from that, and I'm going to serve myself. Here's what we learn about Jesus. He does not come to serve himself. He comes to save the lost at the cost of himself. That's the center of our gospel, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Second thing is this. Here's what we learn about Jesus. Jesus does not fall for the trap of pride. Jesus does not fall for the trap of pride. All right, let me talk about the trap of pride. Most of us might get on a pretty good track and might be headed in a, in a pretty good direction until there's a challenge to our pride. And when you, when you challenge our pride, then we might start to have different responses. And so, you know, even I'm, I'm 52, I'm a whole lot older than I used to be and, and, and all the stuff that goes with getting older, if, if you challenge my pride, there's something still inside me that goes, yeah, maybe I'll just show you about that. Maybe I'll just let you, let you find out about that. And someone says, well, I think you're dumb. I'm like, well, I'll, I might show you what dumb looks like. Uh, pick your thing. There's something about uh, appealing to our pride. Jesus doesn't fall for that. You know why? 
because he possesses, has, and created all things. And I think, you know, what, you know what's dumb is to tempt Jesus with all the things he already has. And, and you want to go to Philippians chapter 2, it says, he humbled himself. And so you know what, he's in heaven, he has all those things, he's the prince of glory, he doesn't need anything, he doesn't have anything to prove, and he humbles himself that he would come save us. Um, the suffering servant. So the second thing we already learned about Jesus, it's not about pride. He doesn't fall for the trap of pride. Um, he humbles himself that he will come and save us. Third thing we see about Jesus is he's not sidetracked by a faulty understanding or application of God's word. He's not going to get tricked by God's word. A Pharisee is not going to come and say, yeah, but have you considered this? You know why? Because he is the word of God. He's the, 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 the author of the word of God. He knows the word of God. And so, you know, go to John. In the beginning was the word. That's talking about Jesus. So he doesn't get pulled astray, sidetracked, or derailed in deviations from the word of God. He knows the word of God. Uh, here's something weird to think about. I don't go very far here, but it's kind of weird. Did you know the Bible doesn't tell us that there are any witnesses to these events? And I went and looked at all the gospel accounts that have this record. For some reason in my brain, I had pictured when it comes to the baptism of Jesus that this big old crew comes over the hill coming down to his baptism. When you read the account, he comes by himself. He leaves Galilee and comes down by himself. He doesn't have any disciples yet. He hasn't called any yet. Well, when I picture this event, I think, me and all my fellows are going out to the wilderness to see how we stand up to the testing. He doesn't have any followers. He doesn't have anybody. The Bible doesn't tell us there are any witnesses to these events. And so here becomes a weird question. So what's the purpose of these temptations? Why is Jesus being tempted? Is it to prove something to Jesus? Because he's God. He doesn't need anything to prove to him. Is it to prove something to Satan? Well, let me just show you you're a defeated adversary. And I started to think about that. That's pretty weird. So I don't think it's for Jesus' benefit. I don't know that it's for Satan's benefit. So maybe it's for our benefit. Maybe we're to go, oh, he doesn't serve himself. Oh, he doesn't fall to the trap of pride. Oh, he does humble himself and come as our suffering servant, our savior. So maybe the benefit is for us. That's kind of a weird thing. He's out there by himself. There's no witnesses. What's the purpose behind this? All right, the last thing we're going to talk about tonight is this, an example for temptation. The third thing we see tonight, an example when in temptation. Now this, this account's not written about us. Sometimes we like to think we're the center of all the Bible accounts. It's not about us, but it is smart and it is prudent to use this as an example of how to stand in temptation. For, for sure, listen very carefully, right now, Satan has an interest in leading believers off track. Now, I'm not talking to lost people. Uh, he wants to wreck them for sure. But as a believer, Satan has an interest in taking you off track. And as a believer, he takes great glory uh, when he can lead us to a situation uh, where we would fail in our temptation. And so uh, I want you to be sure of that. Satan wants you to fail. He wants you to uh, sin. He wants to lead you to sin. 
He wants to lead you to be okay with sin. He wants to lead you to have the wrong responses. And that's what he does. Um, here's, here's what happens when you fail. When you fail, and the temptation is this. Fly off the handle, get mad. The temptation is this. Let out a string of cuss words. The temptation is this. Cheat on your taxes. No one's looking. The temptation is this. Cheat on your test. Nobody's ever going to know. Temptation is this. Uh, talk about somebody that's not here. He, he, wants to, to, he wants you to fail in those things. Here's what happens when you fail. It hurts you. He wants to kill you. He says that. So he, he wants to hurt you by leading you to sin. It hurts others. When you sin, I can't think of a single sin that doesn't somehow hurt somebody else. It may hurt your friends. It may hurt your kids. It may hurt somebody you don't know. But when you sin, it hurts other people. Here's another thing. It hurts your witness. And so I think one of the things that, that Satan has, has a, as an agenda, as a goal, is, hey, we see you've been trying to go to church. Hey, I see you've been carrying your Bible. Hey, I see you say, well, I got baptized you know, four years ago. And so he wants to say, well, then watch what happens when the world sees you brewing in sin, walking in sin. Uh, I'll make your witness a joke. You'll say, well, I go to Calvary Baptist Church, and I got saved you know, in 1996, and I've been reading my Bible, and I, and I do all these things. And he'll say, yeah, and when you're all messed up in sin, we'll see what your witness looks like. It hurts your witness. Here's something else. It hurts the name of Christ. When we're found in sin, I thought he was powerful. I thought he set us free from sin. I thought he, I thought he empowered us. I thought, therefore, for it is in Christ, they're a new creation. It hurts the name of Christ when we fall into temptation, into sin. So be sure, Satan wants you to fall. He wants you to sin. He wants you to stay in sin. He wants you to mess up. Okay, so that's the truth. So what do you do about it? We see two things. There's a strategy here, twofold strategy that we can embrace. The first thing is this. We should seek to be led by the Spirit of God who resides in us. Uh, he was full of the Holy Spirit. It's what the verse says. You know what the Bible says? When we were saved by faith in Christ, uh, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of redemption until that day. Ephesians 1.13. You are filled with the Holy Spirit of God when you got saved. So how are you going to defeat temptation you're going to listen to the Holy Spirit. You're going to walk in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Um, Bible tells us several places. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, not in our flesh. Uh, we walk in obedience empowered by God. And so you have to make a decision. Um, I'm going to listen to what God is saying. And I'm going to walk in obedience. And my goal today is to be obedient. And that, that's my mission, to walk in the Spirit. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. You must be proficient in the Word of God. You must know the Word of God. It is a joke and a sad thing to think you can stand on the Word of God, default to the Word of God, rely on the Word of God, but not know the Word of God. And I, I think our systems these days, I got saved at vacation Bible school. I went to church with my parents until I didn't. And then something happened and I came back a little bit. But you know what? I was trying to be a pretty good person. And then things happen in life and you need to know what the Word of God has said and you don't know. And you need to know what God is leading from here and you don't know. It's crazy to think we'll stand against temptation. Notice, it's a silly example, but notice Jesus didn't say, well, I didn't bring my Bible to the wilderness. 
Most of the places we're going to be caught in temptation, we're not going to have a Bible. Um, do you know the Word of God? Is it written on your heart? Do you know what He has said that you can stand against temptation? So let me tell you what that means. You have to hear it. You have to study it. You have to memorize it. You have to be where it's taught. Uh, you think it's a, it's a coincidence that most folks find things to do on Wednesday night instead of be here? Uh, that's a setup. We have to be consumed in the Word of God that when the trials come and the troubles come and the testing comes, we can say, this is what God has said, and I'm going to do what God has said. We have to know the Word of God. Let me tell you this. It's no shame and no embarrassment to not know the Word of God. I think Satan wants us to go, I don't know it, so I better just shut up and go back to hiding somewhere. Uh, I can remember being 33 years old, and several things happened in my life uh, that God's leading me in this direction, but really not knowing the Word of God. And I, I had a job, I took a job in the oil field, and I got a Bible that was cheap at Walmart that I could get the pages dirty, and I put it in my pickup, and I'm going to start reading, and I'm going to read chapter in the Old Testament, chapter in the New Testament, chapter in Psalms. You know, if you'd have caught me for three or four years, I wouldn't have known sick them about the Word of God. There's nothing embarrassing about saying, I don't know. But what's embarrassing is to say, I'm going to stay there. You have to take in the Word of God. Study it, memorize it, and then when the day of testing comes, you can say, no, God has said this, and I'm going to walk uh, according to what God has said. All right, we're going to stop right there. Glad you were here tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Right, let's pray. Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for your truth. We're thankful for your word. I pray that we've, we've heard it, that we've taken it in. I pray that we have a better understanding of Jesus tonight. I pray that we have a better resolve to stand in the example of Jesus. I pray for our youth that are here tonight. And when all the temptations are going to be thrown on them, and there already are, I pray that they want to honor you. And the Spirit of God that lives in them would lead them to honor you. And the, and the remembrance of the word of God would Help them in that endeavor. And then, Lord, the rest of us are no different. I know Satan wants to, to derail us, to crash us, to wreck us. I know he's wrecked many, and he's in the business of that. I pray, Lord, that we will want to walk in obedience, and that we will walk according to the truth of your word, and we will be able to stand. Forgive us when we didn't. Now, forgive me when I didn't. But help us now to take your word in and to stand on it. Again, we tell you we love you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Glad you're here tonight.